Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. A little later in the show, we're going to get you all ready for Oscar Sunday. We're going to talk about the films, the actors, all of the drama involved in Oscar Sunday. We'll have Adam Graham, who's the film critic and columnist for the Detroit News here. Also, Shana Roth, who's a capital reporter for Michigan Public Radio Network, and a longtime movie buff and couch critic. Uh, They'll help us sort out who we think might win uh, on Sunday. Also, uh, help us out uh, with our election coverage this year. We want to keep you really informed this election season, as we do every election season. So we want you to tell us about which issues matter the most to you as you head to the voting booth. Go to WDET.org. Take our brief, very brief survey about elections issues and watch the coverage unfold the way that you would like to see it for the rest of the year. Up first, we may never really be able to wrap our minds around the full extent of devastation that was caused by the Flint water crisis. Those of us who've followed the story for the last few years know it's taken an exceptional human toll on the people of Flint, whose water was poisoned as elected officials looked to save a buck. That, plus the fact that the residents' concerns were continually ignored and dismissed, led to another kind of devastation, the absolute and complete loss of trust in the people charged with protecting the people of Flint and their families. It's against that backdrop that a group of filmmakers embedded themselves in Flint and followed around the police officers there for two years. The result is a documentary called Flint Town. We are inundated by violence. There's just not enough of us. Poverty breeds crime. And you throw in there a water crisis. How is there not civil unrest? That documentary series premieres on Netflix today. Flint Town and the directors of that series join us now to talk about their work. Zachary Canapari is uh, one director of Flint Town. Zachary, welcome to Detroit Today. <laughs> Zachary happens to be uh, out of the studio at the moment. He's oh. taking care of his, his young six-month-old <laughs> baby, so you've got the other co-directors. Okay. I'm Dre Cooper, and uh, I'm here with uh, our other co-director, uh, Jessica DeMock. Okay, there we Hi, go. Hi, good morning. So Dre and Jessica, welcome to Detroit Today. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, so uh, I, I watched the trailer uh, for this documentary series and a, and a couple other clips, and uh, riveting is one word that comes to mind. Uh, harrowing is another word that comes to mind. I mean, this is a very up close look at what life in Flint looks like after the crisis. Uh, but I'm curious about what drew you guys uh, to this subject as as the, the the material for your for your documentary. What was it about Flint that said, "Let's go, let's go in bed there." Sure. Yeah. Um, Zach and I had actually been working there for years leading up to this project. Um, He and I um, worked with Clarissa Shields and we had made a film there called T-Rex that followed her story um, as she made her way to the Olympics and made history, becoming the first woman ever to win an Olympic gold medal in boxing. Uh So Zach and I were very familiar with Flint. We spent the better part of three years off and on 
from 2012 to 2015 there. And it was through that project where we met a lot of folks in the city um, and, uh, you know, met the mayor at the time and the chief of police. And, um, you know, one thing led to another and we found ourselves um, down at the Flint Police Department. Mm -hmm. Um, And we were very much interested in exploring, you know, essentially, you know, uh, the, the backdrop to Clarissa's story was living in a place like Flint that had gone through decades of, of challenges after GM had left, um, joblessness, crime, et cetera. And she was somebody who was deeply affected by that, obviously. Um, and I think we saw an opportunity there to try to better understand the city through the eyes of the police. Um, and at the time, obviously, you know, national conversation around policing, um, you know, was something that we just couldn't quite um, you know, wrap our heads around after all that we were seeing in the news. And right. this was just an opportunity to, you know, sit down and, and, and see what was going on. And and through the police, though, of course, you get uh, these incredible narratives, these incredible tense narratives that emerge about the people who live there. Uh, and it's not just about the cops and how they, uh, how they police the folks there, but really how they relate to the people of Flint and the problems that existed before the water crisis and, of course, the ones that have cropped up before. I mean, it's almost uh, uh, like peering through, I guess, a keyhole and uh, a door and, and, and seeing the entire, the entire room or the entire world on the other side. Well, that's right. I mean, I think our approach has very much been to take a small and and close look in order to take a a kind of wide and larger look. And so we get close to specific police officers. We embed with this, you know, group at the department. We spend a lot of time in the community to try to get at these like very close to the skin personal relationships Mm -hmm. so that we can look at the interconnectedness of the community police relationship as it relates to other systems in the city. You know, of course, for citizens who have lost faith in their government and lost faith in a lot of infrastructure in a city like Flint because their water is poisoned, because manufacturing has left, because there has been other levels of corruption, of course, those citizens are going to have a distrustful relationship with yet another system like the police department. Um, And that's, you know, and it's also about how a police department relates to its community. And so we wanted to explore these relationships on a variety of levels. And uh, you, you mentioned before the the tensions that surround policing in, in America and the, the conversations that we're having about policing, what it should look like, what it looks like in minority communities like uh, Flint, what it looks like other places. Uh, and yet when I watched the trailer, when I watched the clips, I, I felt like I got a much more human view of the police officers. In other words, yeah, they're part of uh, a systematic issue and and a systematic issue of inequality that, that lives with us every day. But when you sort of get to know, I guess, even in, even in these short clips, get to know these police officers, get to see what they have to do uh, every day just to, 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 to do their jobs, it, it, it really gave a texture, I think, to that conversation that I haven't, haven't seen in a lot of other places. No, I think that's 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 great that you were seeing that, Stephen. I mean, I think, you know, uh, a big impetus behind the project was this idea that, you know, we were watching in the news, you know, one press officer after the next mm-hmm. have to, you know, uh, explain to a public, oh, you know, there was another officer involved shooting and we're going to do an investigation. And then the door would shut and then the cameras would turn off. 
And I think we were just asking these questions, like, what really goes on behind these doors? You know, who becomes an officer and for what reasons? What motivates one to become an officer and for what reasons? Um, how does a department function in a predominantly African-American city or in an urban city like um, like Flint? And I think what we found is is that, you know, Flint is unique. Um, there's, there's a handful of officers, many of whom born and raised in Flint, um, who police their own streets, you know, who still have family that live in Flint. Mm -hmm. And I think that immediately, you know, changes the dynamic. And I think what we saw were, you know, a handful of very committed officers. Um, unfortunately, they don't have resources or support to do the job as effectively as they would like. And that has caused obvious, you know, obviously more, more tension and, and trouble with respect to the relationship. But I think, you know, we were surprised as well with what we saw. Um, and I think, you know, that's what the series is really about, is really, you know, hopefully, you know, forcing people to, to sort of rethink their own um, idea of who police are. Um, you know, and I think you'll often find yourself conflicted. I mean, we certainly did. Sure. Yeah, I mean, just to add to that, I think that we went into this very much as an exploration, you know, I, as people that live in kind of coastal cities, we uh, are on the liberal end of the spectrum and, and certainly didn't go into this project to do anything pro-police. And, and at the same time, there hadn't been any kind of situation in the Flint department that made us feel uh, that there was any kind of corruption or, or, or negative situation that we had to unearth. And, you know, so it was kind of looking at this in its raw honesty that I think we wanted to explore, you know, why is there a level of distrust? And, and even with the committed officers, because we saw many officers that, you know, really are doing their best to police their own streets and in their own community, understanding from the community side why there still might be distrust there, yeah. you know, and understanding that the police in many situations understand that, especially African-American police officers who say, you know, I'm seen as disloyal to my own community because of the things that have happened nationally in the policing conversation. People approach me with skepticism. They don't know why I've done this, you know, and to really explore rather than kind of whitewash that situation and, and to, you know, get involved in the complexities of it. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guests are Dre Cooper, uh, a co-director of Flint Town. Also with us is Jessica Dimock. She is also a co-director of Flint Town. We're talking about that documentary series that premieres today on Netflix. It is about the city of Flint in the wake of the water crisis there. Uh, it is told through the eyes of the city's police officers as they try to deal with the fallout from the water crisis, as well as all of the problems that Flint faced even before that happened. If you want to join the conversation here, uh, tell us how you think public officials can restore confidence and faith after something like the Flint water crisis. Has your faith in public officials been shaken by what happened there? Uh, also, give us a call if you're a police officer or a law enforcement official. How do you convince people to trust you when confidence in public officials is so low? Also, uh, give us a call if you plan to watch this documentary series and what you hope to learn from it. The number, as always, on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. 1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we will work you into the conversation. Uh, Dre and Jessica, I want to I want to ask you about uh, Roger and Me, um, which I'm sure you have both seen. Uh, that that film debuted when I was a teenager, uh, growing up here in Detroit, and I, I think 
universally is seen as a, a, a piece of work that pulled back the curtain on uh, you know, post-industrial decay and desperation, uh, the things that were unfolding. That's 30 years ago. And as I was watching your trailer, I was thinking, how different is the story now than it was then? Is it worse? Is it better? Uh, there were there were things things I saw in the trailers in the in the trailer and the clips that I that I recognized uh, as as continuing issues I guess from uh, from the days of of Roger and me. But I'm I'm curious also about how that film informed the work that you're doing here. It's it's interesting, Stephen. I mean, uh, I was in tenth grade uh, civics class. Mr. Kaplan screened <laughs> that film. Also in the in the early '90s, um, and you know, and this was in the Bay Area, you know, and he he thought it was necessary to try to understand how, you know, it works in a small town where you rely on, you know, for the most part, a single industry, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And when an entire town is built on that, and where the history is built on that, um, and I think you know what I saw, you know, as a young teenager was. You know, it was jaw-dropping, right? Um, how a place could, uh, you know, build families and generations, um, you know, through this this you know single industry and and uh, just a couple of companies, and then when they leave, it's just devastating. There's right? nothing. And I think what we've seen over the decades is the continued fallout. Um, and I think what we're you know exploring in the series is this idea that there's this deep interconnectedness, right, between joblessness, um, crime drugs and the deterioration of relationships between systems and between uh, police and community, right? And I Mm -hmm. think so often in the conversation, it's like, oh, you know, people are committing crimes. If only we could stop all the bad guys from committing the crimes, then life would be safe and good. And the reality (laughs) is, is it's such a much more complex problem than that. And so we just hope that, you know, by sort of re-shining light back on this situation, we can understand that it's all these other sort of, you know, factors that play into this complex equation, if you will, yeah. that need to be addressed and really worked on. Um, you, can't, you can't simply work on the relationship between police and community if we're not paying attention to things like infrastructure, investment, education, and so on. And, and one of the things that, that came out of Roger and me for, for me when I, when I saw it uh, the first time as a teenager was this sense of isolation that, that led to an almost dystopian uh, existence for, for folks in Flint. The fact that everyone had left uh, or so many people had left, the fact that uh, the, the corporate community had sort of turned its back on people. Uh, left people to fend for themselves, and in in doing that, they sort of found their way to very odd and strange existences that that brought them into into contact with the uh, the police. Uh, and and again, watching the clips from from your work, I'm I'm reminded again that that isolation is a driver of what you're what you're looking at. Sure. You know, and I think one of the things that is um, really characteristic of Flint and and the people that live there is that there is a ton of pride. Now, we always, you know, the people that live in Flint, which is a city of about 100,000 people, are mm-hmm. very committed to being in that city. Now, some of them, I, there's also uh, a forced reality there, which is, you know, people can't necessarily don't have the social mobility to necessarily pick up and leave, right. especially in the wake of the water crisis when, you know, housing prices have, have plummeted. But 
people in that city take pride in its history and take pride in what occurred there and how it was the American dream and, and continue to stay on because of that pride. And there's a resilient kind of spirit for the people that are there. That being said, you know, an enormous amount of the population has left. But for those that are still in the community, we do find that there's, you know, a dedication and a determination to stick it out and make it work, you know, no matter how hard it gets, which in Flint is very hard because yeah. it, you know, it, it's a city that just keeps getting pummeled by one crisis after a next after the next yeah. uh, let's yeah. go to the phones here uh, Emily in Detroit Emily welcome to Detroit today you there Emily hello hello hey Emily how are you hi yeah go I'm ahead. good thanks go ahead I was oh my, my comment was just it was a, it was just sort of a little light bulb moment when your guests were talking about the complexity of the issues and I realized that I think on both sides of the political spectrum, we have a tendency to divide people into good guys and bad guys. And um, that when you talk about issues like crime, many times the people who are victims of crime are, are often people who are really tr committed to trying to make things better. Uh, ministers, it's, it's really heartbreaking when you have somebody who is a minister who's been robbed, or you have somebody who has decided that they really want to commit themselves to um, a community and um, help make it better, and, and they end up being, um, you know, having their house stolen in a mortgage fraud scam mm -hmm. or something like that. Mm -hmm. And that it just seems like um, when you, if you make much as the idea in the gun control, we talk about good guys stopping bad guys with gu you know, good guys with guns, bad guys with guns. And it, which seems a little silly because it's hard to tell the difference. Um, similarly, from the other side of the political spectrum, it seems like if we talk about police as all being bad guys, which a lot of the narrative seems to do, it really ignores the fact that there is so much that the people victims of, who are victims of crime are so similar to the right. people who are committing the crime yeah. as well. Uh, Emily, that's a that's a great observation. I'm glad you called. Uh, and added that to the conversation here. I mean, uh, uh, Dre and Jessica, it does seem as though uh, line drawing is one of the things that emerges from from the work here. The idea of uh, the natural tendency to try to draw lines and then the complexity that comes out of having drawn those lines and then seeing that, well, maybe that's not as hard a line as I thought it was. Hey, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, the reality is we live in very polarizing times, right? I mean, it's just the way that, you know, information is, is disseminated these days. It's, you know, the, the groups that people can easily identify with. And so I think, unfortunately, we're not having sort of deep conversations and debates these days. We're just, you know, everybody's just kind of banding together and sort of like saying their opinions. You know, Here, here's what I think. And yes. That's it, right? And so, you know, look, we take that stuff very seriously. And I think in this work, you know, when we started working very closely with the police, I think they saw this as an opportunity where they were like, oh, wait a second, you, you actually want us to tell you what we really think? Because we haven't had an opportunity to tell anybody what we think because, uh, you know, the narrative is so strong out there. And so, you know, look, we, we spent a lot of time with a handful of different officers, uh, young officers, uh, you know, 30-year veteran officers, white mm -hmm. officers, black officers, ones from Flint, ones from outside of Flint. And so... You know, if you're very interested to understand, you know, what what police think and how varied some of their own opinions are and some of their own ideas and experiences are, having worked in a place like Flint or being from a place like Flint, then you're going to see that in the series. And I think, you know, we just hope that, again, um, you know, to complicate this conversation, we feel is, um, 
you know, hopefully something that, that can, you know, get people to kind of check themselves a little bit. I sure. mean, certainly our own ideas were, were checked in the experience. Yeah, That's right. And, you know, in the presentation of the, of the police's ideas, certainly we don't believe that audiences will like everything they hear. I didn't like everything that I heard, mm-hmm. but I think it is the opportunity to dive into that conversation further and, like, you know, get your hands a little bit dirty with <laughs> subject matter that I think we already feel like we already kind of understand and, and maybe we don't need to explore it because we've written it off and, like, my opinion is set. And so I think we just want to make it complex again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's take one more call here. Renee in Detroit. Renee, welcome to Detroit today. Hey, Stephen. Good morning. Hey. Thank you for taking my call. I love the show. Thank you. Um, question to the filmmakers. I was just wondering how they sold this or um, approached Netflix with this idea to do the series. And well, did Netflix take care of the funding or is that something they did independently? And I'll take my answer. That's a great um, question. Yeah, Thank Renee, you. that's a great question about how we sort of take in stories like this now. It's very different than it was even five or ten years ago. Uh, can you talk a little about the process of deciding that this was right for Netflix and uh, not something Shh. else? Sure. I mean, I think because we knew that we were going to be exploring multiple characters and this never felt like a single you know, feature film that's something that would just wrap up within 90 minutes. I think because we understood that we were going to be in exploring this kind of ensemble cast, we knew that it needed to be something in the episodic space. And so we went ahead and started working towards making that with the idea that Netflix would be a really good partner for it. Um, we did a lot of this independently on our own. And then when we felt like we had material in enough shape and had really identified characters, brought it to Netflix and, and talked to them about turning this into the into a series. And I think, you know, on their end, there was an interest because Flint had been in the news because of the water crisis, but this wasn't just going to be focusing on that. Mm-hmm. You know, America policing in crisis was something that was being talked about locally, but also globally. I mean, it's a, it's a global company that wants to spread films, you know, in a variety of different countries. And, and, and so I think that there was kind of a cross-section of um, issues that were at play that were both like very local and domestic, but also spoke to kind of universal issues and also things that were very uh, important in American politics at the time that, you know, made them interested in, in signing on with us. And, and, and just to add to that, Stephen, I mean, the reality is, is we made this very much in the sort of tradition of independent documentary. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. the first film that we had done there, T-Rex, was, you know, literally, uh, you know, a couple folks with cameras and, you know, it was an independent film. And, and, you know, eventually it got picked up kind of thing and we were able to, you know, you know, try to break even kind of thing. And w- with with this project, too, I mean, we spent many, many months just ourselves, you know, Um mm. Just out there, just trying to follow the story because um, we thought it was important um, and we had this incredible access and we wanted to make the most of it. And fortunately, Netflix was able to come on and, and support us along the way. And the reality is, is um, you know, with an outlet like that, it's like it's, a, it's fantastic. Now, every one of your viewers can see it by just, you know, signing up for a service. That's right. You know, yeah. and it's, yeah. that, it's that kind room, of distribution right? that's incredible. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Dre Cooper and Jessica Dimock, co-directors of Flinttown. Thanks very much for being here on Detroit Today. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you, Stephen. And remember, Flinttown premieres today on Netflix. If you are a Netflix member, you can go check it out. It is well worth seeing. Up next, the Academy Awards are this weekend, and we're going to talk about the films, the actors, and all of the drama surrounding that awards contest. Also, don't forget, if you miss any of today's conversation, you don't have to miss out entirely. Just 
go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. Download and subscribe to Detroit Today. Take us with you and listen when you're ready. We'll be right back on Detroit Today. Thank you.